I'm a fun you guy. You have fun when they finish below 500. I'm just Captain Fun. I guess. Or a captain suit. The show from now on. I don't like the half point. Well, that's called the hook. I don't like it. What the hook? How do you get rid of it? Can you get rid of the hook? I'm gonna have a coronary. I'm getting too old for this job, but you guys may have won. Upset. If you look back at where the term came from, it was from a horse race. Upset when did you turn a, into Cliff Clavin? I like this job. I've had it for a long time, Paul. Last one. This is in the chemistry lab. You're on the verge of next year's Super Bowl. I can't Bowl. help what I think. Be honest, Paulie. You're not doing this for other people's entertainment. You are truly enjoying this. This is Orange Nation. With Stephen Fonte and Pauly Sebelia. No Pauly Sebelia again today. Stephen Fonte, Eric Columbia here in hour number one. Mike Waters will join me for hour number two. Several guests lined up for you today. We're going to talk a lot of baseball on the show. Anthony DeComo, Mets writer for MLB.com, will join us at 12.15. Our good friend Jack Joaquin, host of George's Box Podcast, will be on with us at 12.45 to talk Yankees baseball. And then 28-year professional sports better John Ryan coming out a little bit early this week. He'll join us at 1.30 as we close out the show. Plus, we'll welcome in your phone calls at any time at 315-437-7644. I, I would ask you, Eric, how are you doing today? But you and I just spent an hour of of TV together yeah. on, on Bridge Street. Uh, so how's the last hour been? You know, it's been good. Got the uh, flu shot. Had a bit of a, So did I. We had a clinic over there. Yeah. So if I start to uh, spaz out during the middle of the show, that's probably why. All right. Uh, yeah, I got the flu shot as well, and uh, and we're we're off and running here. Yeah, we've seen uh, a lot of each other lately. We have. Yeah, we have. Is, is that, that good a, or bad? Yeah. I, I was. I'm fine with it. You kind of said it like it's a bad thing. I, I'm I'm good with it. <laughs> well, I'm, I mean, I you know, I I never know, Steve. But if, if if it's like you on TV, not uh, not laughing at one of my jokes or ranting and raving about kale, like I never know where to come with. I you. wasn't ranting or raving about oh. kale today. I just I have strong. Wish we had instant replay. I have strong feelings, and today being National Kale Day, I had to get a few things off my chest. No. Uh, I'm triggered. Uh, but this show is about <laughs> sports. And last night, you know, whatever you make of that mm-hmm. achievement last night, it was cool, right? Yeah. I mean, however you perceive number 62, uh, there's been a lot of buildup. And and Judge finally got the number last night with a, with a few at-bats to spare. There's a game today. You know, you obviously led off last night. So he probably had, what, maybe eight more, nine, you know, eight to ten times at the plate left. Um, and he he knocked it out of the park last night to lead off game two of that doubleheader with Texas, and he he got to 62. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm just glad for him, glad for modern uh, baseball fans. Though, when I juxtapose that with my fandom uh, at the time when the last like really big chase, and you know, I know Barry Bonds and stuff broke the record, but when I think of the chase uh, it's for the all-time home run record, uh, single season, I should say. Uh, I think of 1998 and like the legendary thing between McGuire and Sosa and them going back and forth. And I was 13 years old when that happened, and I just didn't find myself with that same fervor. But you know, now I'm 37. I have three kids. I'm a bit busy. I'm not as plugged in and uh, to baseball as uh, as I once was. But I'm just happy because it gives the next generation of fans something to look back on. Because I think people, no matter what this uh, how this season plays out for the Yankees people will talk about this for a long long time well and and i think that you know you go back to to Sosa and Maguire there were some things that were different about that chase right i mean it, there was an added element of excitement i think because there there was it was it was two guys, yeah. right? I mean, they were pushing each other, mm-hmm. and so I think that it was oh, you know, Sosa would hit one, would McGuire counter, yeah. and so on and so forth, and and you know they they became friends, and they, there was there was a lot around that, and and it, it, baseball, it was a different time for the game of baseball as well, and I think we look back on, and we talked about this on Bridge Street a little bit today, we look back on it, and 
you know, everything we know now, it was the steroid era, baseballs were juiced. I mean, it was it to me, looking back, now it seems like artificial. Like it was mm-hmm. you know, it it wasn't authentic. And this one feels authentic. And yeah, maybe it is because I'm I'm a Yankee fan. That's the team I follow, and Aaron Judge is the face of the the franchise that I happen to follow, but you're right. There w- there wasn't the same excitement night in and night out around this. It was kind of like, is he going to get this thing done already? Yeah. But I, I do think it is an achievement that should be celebrated. And I said this to you on Bridge Street today. I look at it as he's the home run champ. You know, outside of this, like I'm not I'm not saying strike the records and you know take Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa out of it. I'm not saying that at all. That was the steroid era, though. And for me, this is he is the authentic home run champ in my mind. I don't share that view, but I'm not going to say anyone is crazy for believing that. Um, I, I still believe the record is 73 with Barry Bonds, despite um, all of the acknowledgement of it being the steroid era. And just because as much as that is not playing by the rules, I just feel like the sport was so rampant with it that it's it it, it pretty much was a level playing field for everyone involved. As as we get farther and farther away from that time frame. You know, a lot of players, it looks like we're, we're taking steroids. And I'm not just talking about power hitters. I'm talking about relievers. I'm talking about starting pitchers. There's more and more. All the stats, like. though, during that segment are skewed. And yes, so that's yeah. why when you look at baseball on the whole, you know, over the course of the last 150 years, you know, the, it, there was a four-year window where right. people were hitting 60, 70 home runs, right. and and nobody did it outside. When of that. does when does that stop though? Because then that becomes a slippery slope. Because then we can we can break down Aaron Judge and him playing in the bit of a bandbox that is Yankee Stadium. And when you compare his numbers, if he were to play in a bigger stadium in Major League Baseball, say Comerica Park in Detroit, those power numbers come down, and he's not even close to sniffing 62 home runs. So it's like we can nitpick any part of this road it's, to 62. It's different, it's different, though, because you could say, well, you know, Judge plays on a really good team. He's got protection in the lineup. What if he played on a bad team? Nobody would pitch. Like, I, I understand what you're saying. You're not wrong with what you're saying. I just look at it as in 150 years of baseball, you know, we saw a four-year stretch where guys were hitting a, an unbelievable amount of home runs, but nobody did it, you know, outside of that four-year stretch. What Judge did this year, to me, is is truly remarkable. The, you know, Kyle Schwarber, 16 home runs behind him. You yeah. know what I mean? So, um, again, I'm not saying strike the record books. I'm not saying take Barry Bonds and McGuire out of it. I, I recognize that they hit those numbers in those years. But for me, the, the authentic home run champ would be Aaron Judge. Let's get the call from uh, Michael K. last night on the Yes Network. Deep left. There it goes, soaring into history. He's done it. He has done it. 62. Aaron Judge is the American League single-season home run leader. The AL King. Case closed. All right, that's how it sounded on TV. Let's hear how it sounded on radio with John Sterling. Swung on. There it goes. Deep left. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Number 62 to set the new American League record. Aaron Judge hits his 62nd. All the Yankees out of the dugout to greet him. Just think of it. Three Yankee right fielders. The Babe hitting 60 and 27. The Jolly Roger. Hitting 61 and 61. And now Aaron Judge hits his 62nd home run. The most home runs 
any American leaguer has hit in a single season. And the American League has been alive for 120 years. This is Judgment Day. Case closed. They both went with the case closed. Um, so there you go. Uh, Michael K., John Sterling uh, with the call. Um, it, it, again, it, it was an exciting, exciting night. I didn't have a chance to watch it live. I was actually at my son's soccer game, and I got mm-hmm. the uh, got the notification, and I obviously watched it later. What stood out to me from the moment is just the relief. Not so much with Judge, the relief of his mom in yeah. the stands, and you know you hear Judge after the game, and and he talked about the relief as well. He said usually the games kind of drag on, and you're focused about your next at bat and your next you know uh, defensive play in the outfield, and so on and so forth. And he said the last couple of weeks the games were going by super quick. He said he would look at the scoreboard, and it would be like the seventh inning before he knew it. It'd be like, man, I got you know I got one at bat left, and he started to press a little bit. He said as much as he tried not to, he was pressing, and uh, it was it, it was good to see him get it done. Yeah, and, and not that they had really anything to play for over like the last uh, few days because their spot in the postseason and their seed in the postseason pretty much set for a while. Uh, but I, if he wouldn't have got this, if he, he would have stayed at 61, I think that would have been a cloud heading into the postseason. That maybe that does take away some momentum from this team as they're trying now to win the ultimate goal of, of winning a championship. All right, let's hear uh, what uh, what some experts thought about this. Uh, let's uh, First up, let's get to Buster Olney on whether or not uh, this is the greatest season ever. The single-season home run king is Barry Bonds. He hit 73 homers. That said, what Aaron Judge accomplished this year is the greatest season for any player ever because of the context, because there is drug testing, because there are PED penalties, and because hitting has never been more difficult in baseball. The batting average is way down, and yet in that context, Aaron Judge hit 16 more homers than any other player. He had an adjusted OPS this year of over 211. He's flirting with a triple crown as we go into the last day. It's been an incredible year for him, and I think he's at the top of the mountain in terms of having the greatest season of any player. All right, he's not going to get the uh, the average part of this. He's four points back with one game to play, um, and I I'll, I wouldn't be surprised if if they rested him today. We'll we'll see how they how they decide to handle that. Um, so he's he's going to come up short in the triple crown. But what, what do you think about uh, best season by an offensive player? I just I don't see it that way, um, and it's part of what I what I cited earlier. I think what he's done now is 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 a little. Miguel Cabrera-esque. Obviously, when Miguel Cabrera won the Triple Crown nearly 10 years ago, he doesn't have the same power numbers, but that's because he played in a different ballpark. Uh, If you adjust those numbers, uh, Aaron Judge, in a bigger ballpark. I saw this this tweet on Twitter yesterday, and I wish I remember what... um, what account had that so I could attribute it. If you adjust those numbers accordingly, it's it's more like 48 home runs for Judge this year. So uh, why th- I, it's, it's an awesome season. And yes, everything that Buster only said about it is harder to hit, but that's partially because of the way batters are approaching at-bats. It is most likely home run or nothing when it comes to Well, some of that's a shift, too, which yeah. is going to be outlawed moving forward and... You know, but it's a very good season. I just find yeah. it hard at being the best season of all time. It doesn't hit me like that. Okay, fair enough. Uh, let's get one more in. Uh, let's let's hear from Tim Kirchin, his thoughts, uh, putting into context this season for Aaron Judge. I think you can make a case it is the best season of the last 10 years, meaning it's better than Miguel Cabrera's triple crown season. And you could make a case, at least, it's better than any season had by Mike Trout, which is 
really, really saying something. But once you get back into the bonds seasons, and again, there's an asterisk there for a lot of people, and I understand why. Now we're in different territory there. Ted Williams had three of these seasons at least, and would have had three more if not for military service. Babe Ruth had about six to eight of these type of seasons. But again, that was a different time and a different era. I just implore people to not try to compare different eras because they were so different. You feel better about that? Best season in 10 years? Yeah, I I think it's right up there. And obviously, uh, full disclosure, I'm a Tigers fan. And I I covered the 2013 Tigers team when I was in Michigan. So like I I saw Miguel Cabrera on a more regular basis than I saw Aaron Judge. So I think this is right on par with that Miguel Cabrera season. If you want to say this past season of Aaron Judge is better than Miguel Cabrera 2013, go ahead. Like I'm not going to fight you on that. I just happen to favor Miguel Cabrera uh, and that season that he had because he actually got the triple crown. Uh, he hit for a higher average, had more RBIs. Um, I, I just think it's, they're they're two completely different seasons, but if you lean judge, that's fine with me. Do you get bonus points if you're Aaron Judge? The fact that he, I mean, literally carried this team uh, during a, a big stretch. I mean, this team was really banged up over the summer, and, and he he's carried them to, what, 99 wins now and you know number two seed in the American League. Does he get bonus points for that? I, yeah, I think I think you're going to. Uh, if we're doing the direct Miguel Cabrera uh, comparison, Miguel Cabrera obviously he carried that Tigers team too. They they went to the ALCS that year. They won the Central Division. I think they're very comparable. I think whoever you choose, you are splitting hairs in this scenario. Um, but yeah, no, he gets tons of credit. Uh, he was very hot. He had a cold stretch. He was able to battle through all of that, and uh, he deserves all the credit that he's getting today and then some because it is impressive and it is one of the best seasons of all time. All right, 315-437-7644 if you'd like to check in on the Aaron Judge conversation. We do have to shuffle around our guests here a little bit. We, we're hoping to have Anthony DiComo on at 1215. He's going to come on at 1245 now. Jack Jokinen will then be moved back to 1 o'clock. So we've got some baseball talk at 1245 and 1. Uh, we'll talk some football this hour as well. We can talk some NFL. We'll talk some SU football with Eric Columbia. Plus, with you at 315-437-7644. Just getting started on a Wednesday edition of Orange Nation. We're back after this on ESPN Radio. ESPN 97.7 and 100.1. Watch live on QSportsTalk.com. This is Orange Nation. All right, Stephen Fonte, Eric Columbia, back with you here on Orange Nation. One more segment, and then we've got... uh, Anthony DeComo coming up at uh, 12.45 to talk Mets. Jack Joe Keenan at 1 to talk Yankees. Let's go back to the phone lines as the baseball talk continues. John in Liverpool up next on the show. Hey, John. How you doing, boys? Good. How are you? All right. Well, when you talk about spectacular seasons, you know I've seen uh, the Bonds years and the McGuire years, the Sosa years, now the Judge years and some of these spectacular home run guys. But I've never seen anything like what Otani did this year. So even though he's not the MVP, he won't get it, there should be some kind of award for Otani. Or, uh, it's, it's almost hard to process a guy that can throw the ball 100 miles an hour and hit the ball 400 feet. Uh, it's just spectacular what Otani did, almost to the point where you can't even process it, where the other guys, you can kind of understand it. I can't even process a guy being such a good pitcher and also uh, – 
you know, such a good hitter and, and all the other aspects. I wish he had come to the Yankees, but uh, you never see him out, out in, you know, playing for the A's. You just never see it. But I wish he had come to the Yankees. But to me, he's, he's the best baseball player without question. He's the best baseball player on the planet right now. Well, it's, it's hard to argue with that, given his, his dominance, uh, both as a pitcher and as a hitter. And I appreciate the call, John. You know, you say we, didn't, we haven't seen anything like this. I mean, we did, we did see it last year to some degree. I mean, I know his ERA is better this year, but, I mean, he hit how many homers? 46 home runs last year, 100 RBIs. His ERA was a little bit over three. This year it's, you know, it's 2.35. But, I mean, to John's point, he, um, he certainly impacts the game, right? I mean, he impacts it on the mound. He impacts it at the plate. And, and we haven't really seen a, a player like this. I mean, Babe Ruth you know, was a pitcher and a hitter, but I mean, that was obviously, you know, we don't remember any of that. We never got to see that. We get to see Shohei Otani um, on a regular basis pitching for the Angels, and, and he, is, uh, he is remarkable. Yeah, I like don't don't get me wrong. Everything that he's doing is uh is fantastic. The fact that he can be a two-way player this day and age is commendable. But is he the the best pitcher in baseball? I would I would say no. I don't even know if he's top 5. But I was going to say I was I was going to say he's probably top 10. Yeah. And then is he the best hitter in baseball? No, probably he, not. So like But if he's top 10 in both? Yeah, no, that that's great, but that doesn't mean you're the MVP. And then if you tack in the fact that the Angels, like, where are they in the, well, in the that, postseason Well, that's the point the I was going to bring up. I mean, that, like, yeah. not that it's all about wins There's and losses. There's 32 games out of the division like, lead, so yes. There, there has to come to a point where we look at the effect that's having on baseball games, and the fact that it's not leading to more wins, I think, says something. His war this year, for what it's worth, I know war can be manipulated, his war is, is 3.5. You, you have arguably two of the best players in the game, and it is it is not getting you anywhere. And I, I think at some point that has to negatively impact uh, a reputation when it comes to winning awards. And I, for me alone, like that that let uh, that gave Judge the upper hand in my opinion this year. And it, and it has in past years too when it comes to uh, Aaron Trout when he was seemingly dominating the MVP race. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, I, I think Judge is the MVP. Otani has been. Remarkable. I mean, it is amazing what what he's been able to do. Um, you know, this year it, j- again, just to give you a comparison, uh, Judge's WAR, and I, I don't love the WAR stat, but for what it's worth, his is ten point seven. Yeah. Um, again, he carried a team when yeah. it, you know they were they were banged up, they were hurting. I mean, he he absolutely carried them. So um, you know, his his WAR is almost three times that of what Otani's. And, I, I think Judge and, is the MVP, but yeah, I mean, and o- I don't want people to like misconstrue what I'm saying. Like Otani, you know, after this next year, because he he resigned for the the one year, he's going to be the highest played player in baseball. He's going to be one of the most important players in the game. That doesn't necess- the fact that he can do both doesn't automatically give him the MVP every year. I understand nobody else can do it, but if it's taking away a little bit from your is like I would I would like to think that Otani, if he wasn't pitching. He would probably be the best hitter in baseball. If he wasn't hitting, he might be in the conversation as the best pitcher in baseball. But the fact is, I think doing both kind of takes away from his overall impact. Interesting. That's an interesting take because I feel like doing both is is partly why we we put him on a pedestal and we say we, that is why we put yeah, him on a pedestal, right? But so, is it necessarily what is best for the team? I mean, he's not doing bad pitching, so I mean, you're going to keep him in the I was going to say, I don't rotation. think he's the problem. Yeah, I, don't no, he's think, not, I don't think he's why they're 32 games below 500. I feel like a month ago, people were just re- ready to hand him the MVP because he's doing what other people can't do, and I understand the the the, the want well, to, to Well, my do that. response to that is, it's not like he's a mediocre pitcher 
you know, he's a great pitcher, but a mediocre hitter, or vice versa. He's really, really good at both. So I don't think he's hurting the team by, and and I think we've seen that. And I think when he first came to the majors, this is the first year with his ERA under three, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, but last year, I mean, it was a, it was a shade over. I mean, that it's still, I, I I had the stats up in front of me. Now I clicked off of his his pitching. Let me bring his pitching back up. Last year he was three point one eight. I mean, that's still pretty. That's really good. Yeah, I mean, that's not that's not elite level when it comes to pitching. Like, but yeah, no, it's it's good. It was nine it's good. and two with a three point one eight ERA. I mean, that's especially for that team. That, I don't know. Three one eight is also elite when you put up a run or two of your own run support. Right. <laughs> Those should be subtracted from I, the that, ERA. That, that's I think, fair. I think that is a very antiquated way of looking at it because now you're having a DH spot. So let let's let's. Like when you have the DH in the uh, in the AL and you've always had it, in, or at least you've had it for a number of decades now. If you were to match up what a pitcher is doing and what the DH is doing, like those numbers are going to be those numbers are going to be comparable. If he was pitching in the NL with no DH, that is a severe advantage. Like that would be monumental. We don't live in those times anymore. He, he, he's number six in ERA this year. No, no, no. He's had, uh, this year he's having a great year. Yeah, he's like two point eight five. Like so he's three, having, he's a very good pitcher. Three point one zero. He's that, not the that best be, at either. There would be tw- right, but I'm just saying it's not like he's mediocre. What you said, they might be hurting the team if he if he's concentrated on one. It's not like he's like okay as a hitter. And when we're and, having the conversation, we're penalizing other people because they can't pitch. Like which is that uh, uh, he let's, impacts, let's, let's invent a new scale. He impacts the game more than an elite pitcher because because on the, the days he's not pitching, he's hitting forty six home runs or, or you know whatever it is. I mean, last year was forty six. This year was in the thirties. But I think I'd, I think I'd I'd rather have somebody like Degrom or like primetime Verlander or Scherzer than Otani two way. Like I would rather have the best pitcher in the game than have Otani who can do both. And I like to think that's not a that's not saying bad words about Otani because he's very he's very good and I take him on my team in his second sixth best ERA Eric sixth best there's five guys with a better ERA no this year he's having a very good year I just don't I, think he's the MVP that's that is an, he's very a very good year that is an understatement top six in ERA that's, I mean that's that's that is elite top six what's elite that's top ten in both if he's top ten in both if he's a top ten hitter in a top I think it's th- also elite when you're doing it in a playoff race. And he's not okay. That's fair. I mean, yeah, a lot of games that don't. So, a lot of that's out of his control, though. They stink. A lot, yes, it's no, not his but fault. I mean, like, it, you know, you know what else is out of people's control? Being able to pitch in a major league baseball game when you haven't really done that in your career. Like, if he's the exception to the rule, we have to have, uh, we have to have rules that match that, or at least bring other people up to the level. Because otherwise, what are we doing? Let's just rename the award of Tani and let's just give it to him every year. Well, it's a, you know, it's in NBA talking about like Jordan or, or LeBron. Like technically, LeBron could be the MVP every year. Jordan could be the best. You know, but that's it, also different because there's year. not different positions. Like you play both there offense are, and there defense. Are different positions. What no, but like a pitcher and a center, like they're not. You know, like those right. are vastly different. So if you have a if you have a person on the floor, especially in positionless basketball, like virtually everybody's doing the same yeah. thing. All aspects of, ba- of basketball are virtually. Well, Otani's not going to get the MVP this year, so no, we, don't, he, we don't have to argue about. I this, wouldn't be surprised if it's closer than people. Think, I think it is going to be close. I mean, it, yeah. he. Uh, I mean, again, he's he's having an unbelievable year. All right, let's take a time out here. We'll talk New York Mets baseball with Anthony DeComo coming up next here on ESPN Radio. Watch your favorite ESPN Syracuse sports talk shows on QSportsTalk.com. This is Orange Nation. All right, Stephen Fonte, Mike Waters hanging out with you here in hour number two. 
Phone lines open for another 10 minutes or so at 315-437-7644. Then we've got John Ryan giving us his uh, weekend picks a little bit early uh, this week. Uh, Mike, great to see you. I know we didn't get a lot of, lot of time there to, to chit-chat in the, the opening segment since we had an interview, but it's it's always good to see you. When we see you, that means the basketball season is right around the corner and uh, things are ramping up, as you mentioned. It's usually the only reason people are happy to see me. It's like, you know, if, I, if they That's start seeing me true. more often, it's like, hey, it's basketball season. That's not true. We'll put up with waters just to see some hoops. <laughs> All right, so what what do you know about this team? I mean, somebody asked me literally yesterday, what you know, how's the basketball team going to be? A lot of new faces. Um, you know, what what do you feel like you know about this team at this point? Very little, uh, uncomfortably so, um, because I usually like to have a better beat on things, but you don't when there's only two starters back, uh, not a lot of other returners. It's basically Simeer and 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 Benny Williams as returners. Neither one had huge roles last year, and then a lot of new faces. Um, I, I think it's I think it's going to be a fun year. I like the idea of having young kids and and, and seeing what roles they can play. You know, I, I'm I'm just I'm so, I've I've never been more anxious to see a, a, a Monroe Madness. In my yeah, life. right. <laughs> you know, I can't wait till Friday night in Rochester. I can't wait till. Usually, it's like some of these madness events. I'm I'm like. You do know, I have to do go? I have to go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear you. I hear you. Because it's usually on a Friday, and we feel the same way at Channel Nine. Because it's always it always butts up against like high school football that night, and you're like, oh, we got this on top of the high school football. And but, it's the time of year where high school football these games. Are yeah, they matter. Yeah, it's right right know? before the playoffs, I and so get I get that. it. Because I'm I'm like, do we have to? You know, do we do we have to go? But I'm with you. This year, like, there's a lot of reason to go. Um, you know, we're, we're genuinely interested in, in what this team's going to be. Jordan, I do want to bring you in here for a second because I want to make sure I get this right. So you, you, you said earlier that Alan Griffin was on the Devo show with Chris, Chris Joe and Eric Devendorf. Yes? Yes, sir. So, so tell Mike what he said about man-to-man defense because you heard it and I didn't, so I don't want to get it wrong. I got you. So uh, this morning what Coach Griffin said is that they have not even started practicing the zone breakdowns yet. They've been mainly focused on man-to-man because they see themselves having to use it this season. And a lot of people, Kev, uh, Kev from Elpool in the Q Sports Talk chats, wondering too, is this finally the year we see some man, or is that a little smoke screen from Coach Griff? I don't think it's smoke screen because it's something that Jim Beheim told these freshmen these re- when they were in the recruiting process. Um, you know, several of these kids, Juna Mintz, Chris Bunch, um, Malik Brown, they've told myself and Donna DeToto when we were out there, you know, getting to know these kids a year ago that, yeah, Jim Beheim said we're going to play a little man-to-man. They're going to play some. Now, how much is some? What is some? You yeah, know, Quantify uh, some, Mike. More than we've seen in the past few years. <laughs> a possession? Yeah, or exactly. But, and I, but I have talked with a few fans and, and written a couple of uh, stories and Mike's mailbox things on this whole man-to-man idea. And I'm like, if you have depth and the gap between your starter and your sub isn't so great, you know, like if, if, if it's Billy Owens and his sub is Tony Scott, I'm not taking Billy Owens off the floor. So because I don't want him in foul trouble and I know he's going to play a lot of minutes, I'm going to play zone. Right. But if my gap is... I don't know. Let's just take two random guys off this year's team and, and who we don't know. Yeah. But let's say the the two small forwards are uh, freshman Chris Bunch and freshman Justin Taylor, and there's not a big gap between the two of them. Well, 
maybe I'll play man-to-man more because I'm not worried about one or the other getting into foul trouble. That's a fair point, yeah. Um, you know, the only going in, the guys you're going to worry about foul trouble would be Jesse Edwards. So maybe when you play man-to-man, Jesse's not on the floor or you're just careful about when you use it. But I think with the possibility of having some depth and the willingness to use it, and this could become an advantage for you. So, yeah, I'm I'm thinking we're going to see some. Yeah, it seems like it. There seems to be more and more momentum um, moving in that direction. Right, so you we also have the right kind of guys. Right, right. And I think you that's know, important. Yeah, Judah Mintz, Quadir Copeland, you know, all the athletic forwards like Malik Brown. And, you know, these are guys that you would think can play man-to-man. So use them in that role. I asked Alan Griffin this question. Um, I said, you know, which which player is going to surprise us the most? He he went to Peter Carey because, you know, again, I think in part he you know he works with Peter Carey on a regular basis. Um, I'll ask the he's same biased. question to you. What's that? He's biased. Right? Yeah, he's biased. He's, right? gonna... he's, he's working with him. He's working with him every day. But I'll ask the same question to you, and and I know some of it's speculation because it's not like you're at practice every day, but you know the skill set of these guys, and and kind of you have an idea of what the roles are going to be. Who who do you think is going to be the freshman that that outshines everybody? Is it is it going to be Judah Mintz? Is it you know is it going to be Justin Taylor? Who who do you have your eye on going into this year? All right, full disclosure, uh, I do get to go to practice eventually, but I haven't. Okay, we're not there, haven't been yet. there yet. Okay, uh, usually uh, in recent years it's like you don't go till after media day. Gotcha. So yes, yeah, so waiting for that. I get why Griffin might say Peter Carey because I think he might be a guy that's going to surprise someone. He may be flying under the radar right now. Yeah. Exactly. But the fact that you got Jesse Edwards as the starter at that center position, how much opportunity will Peter right. really get to be right. the guy? I, from what I'm hearing secondhand, Malik Brown might be the guy I would take. Okay. Um, because there's opportunity at the forward spots. I think there's a lot of young kids vying for starting jobs and playing time there. And I just keep hearing that name pop up. Uh, that the coaches are impressed. He's long. He's athletic. He can rebound. He can defend. Um, you know, I think he fits both zone and man. Uh, the only thing that's probably uh, going to be a question mark and something I'm going to I want to see from Malik is like, you know, how much offense will he give you? Because if he's not really there offensively yet, then that means the other forward might have to be a guy who can help provide uh, some scoring. Are you worried about scoring this year? A little bit, yes. Yeah. Yeah, because they lost four really good shooters. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they were all great shooters, actually, you know, between Buddy and Cole, um, Jimmy and – help me out. Anyway, three of them at least. Yeah, right. <laughs> maybe it wasn't right. four. Maybe it was three. Uh, Joe was the fourth. You didn't lose right. him. But that, right. that was that was the basis of last year's team was those four guys all shooting on the perimeter. I don't know who you have this year, but you know what? You lost 17 games with that kind of lineup, and I've talked with Jim um, a couple times the offseason, and he's like, we've got to be better defensively. The reason they lost games last year is because they couldn't stop anybody. And I do think you have a chance to be better defensively, even if you do take a little bit of a step back offensively. But you, you have to find the scoring, and I think that's where you're, you, Joe's moving off the ball. Can he score more? Can Jesse be a more consistent offensive threat? Um, Judah Mintz. Is he going to score for you a little bit? And then, again, I keep looking at that three spot. You know, yeah, who's right. the small Who, forward going to be? And yeah. is it is it a Chris Bunch? Is it a Justin Taylor? I, I think that'll be the one of the first things in preseason we're going to have to suss out. Uh, and I guess last one for you on this topic for this segment. We got John Ryan coming up next. Um, is there something you feel comfortable about with this team? Like you know, there are a lot of questions, but is there something you feel like? Well, at least we know that, or I, I feel confidence in saying this about this year's the team. The defense has to be better, right, Mike? 
It's got to be, right? It's got to be, yes. If it's not, watch out. a long winter. <laughs> um, but I don't know if that's if that would be my – you know, I think Jesse might be the thing, the, the guy I'm most confident in. And I think that's a good thing because the ACC has a lot of quality yeah. big men. Right. And so it's not like Jesse's going to dominate the league, but at least you have a guy to go up against a lot of other guys. Yeah. Uh, there's there's big men galore throughout the league, but I'm confident in thinking that Syracuse has a guy who's, um, I think he's going to have a great year, to be honest. I, I I think between the defense and the blocking of the shots, I think he's going to give you consistent offense. Um, you know, we'll see where this kid can go. And that's great because, you know, you feel like this is, is something you can put into the, at least we know this category, whereas the center position has been a major question mark for the last X number of years, whatever number you want to put in there, it's it's been a well. They could play a power forward at the five if they had to, but you know it's just been kind of like a shrug your shoulders and hopefully they can get get by without a true center. Yeah, the last time I went into a season thinking they were fine at center was the year uh, that Barama Sidibe was coming off the season where that he finished so strong. Right, the, right, the last right, ten right. games yeah, of yeah. that season, he was coming back. And then he got hurt in the Immediately, opener. Immediately, yes. And and all bets were off. Right. That was it. All of a sudden, we're right back to uh, rolling up well, the dice. Well, Marek could play it if you know you could get by, and you know. But that, I mean, that's so that's a good thing that that they feel like they've got Jesse. And you're right, I feel confident in in Jesse in that position as well. All right, we're going to take a timeout here when we return. John Ryan coming out a little bit early this week. He'll give us his best bets heading into the weekend. That's next on ESPN Radio.